Has everybody got a Bible? Where would we be without our Bibles? Right, just to link up. John's gear stick, that. He always changes gear halfway through the sermon. Have you seen? Yeah, that's right. That's because he's got an automatic car. It's a desperate need to have a gear stick. <laughs> we're looking at Hebrews, and we're, we're looking at the subject of faith. No. We're looking at the subject of real faith. Um, now, faith is one of these difficult things for preachers because whilst it's something you need to preach about, you to teach about, when it comes down to it, you can make a sermon out of it quite easily, but it's not always easy, so easy to inspire people in, into real faith. And that's why the writer of the Hebrews gave a list of people that had demonstrated real faith. <laughs> it's as simple as that, really. He, he said, in order to explain to you, in order to describe what real faith is, let me tell you about some people in the past. And let me tell you about some very special things. Um, last week, John, uh, it was real faith and dealt with origins, and so John looked at creation. And uh, that was such a good place to start chronologically so, but they were spiritually so. And that's important because one of the points that I want to make this morning is the difference between faith and real faith. I believe that chair will hold me up if I sit on it. There is an element of faith about that because I've done it so many times. On a wooden chair, the legs could be rotten and let you down. <laughs> But the thing is that the capacity to believe something is built into man and it's not built into lesser creature. The difference between faith and real faith. And as we come to the, the little story of Cain and Abel, uh, we'll look in a minute at the difference between faith and real faith because they both brought offerings to God. The right wording is that Cain brought an offering and Abel brought a sacrifice. And the two are different. And it highlights the difference of faith and real faith. Um, for me this morning, it's faith, real faith, worship. I'm not quite, Steve drew up the, the thing, I'm not quite so sure that I can actually develop that thought of what worship really is from these guys, but we will see that there is worship there. And um, you'll see up there that we're going to look at faith versus... I've only got two slides. You're not going to see the other one yet, but let's see this one. Let's see where we're going. Faith, real, real faith, worship. Faith versus real faith. Faith is not enough. Even the demons believe in God and shudder. James 2, verse 9. So we need to look at us. So the other point I want to make this morning is... Faith is unique to man-kind. And as John looked, he was looking 
in creation last week at creature kind. And we're, we're created by God to sense we're creatures, but we're unique creatures. We're the unique creation of God because God created us in the dust of ground. Everything else he commanded by the word of his mouth. But for man, he created him from the dust of the ground. So there's a difference for a start. But then he breathed into man and man became a living soul or a living being. And when God created man and breathed in him to the breath of life, he, he breathed into him some uniqueness. The uniqueness of himself, but also the capacity to believe. That is unique to man. So if it's unique to man, it is both spiritual and supernatural which is a sort of a third point that I want to make this morning, that the faith we have to actually believe in God and to trust Jesus Christ to save us in our lives and to trust him for a future is actually spiritual and it is supernatural. Animal kind does not have that. Now, my dog used to wag his tail and dash about in the kitchen just at the sound of the food plate going on the floor. Now, I would say that that's animal kind, and that's a sort of a level of belief there that there's something at the end of it. But it's not the capacity to spiritually and supernaturally believe something. Let's just look at that verse in Hebrews 1, verse 1 because it gives us a sort of an anchor for what I just said. Now you can keep your Bibles open just there. Hebrews 11, that is, and it's verse 1. Now the writer, in the context of what he's saying, and we'll come to that in a moment, now the writer is saying, now faith is being sure of what we hope for, Now, I believe that's spiritual and supernatural. Because a dog may hope for something because he knows the sounds, but actually to see into the future and to see beyond our present time is a spiritual and supernatural capacity which is only found in mankind. It's only found in mankind. And that makes man, that makes us unique in that sense that but it also makes us very responsible. And it makes us accountable. It makes mankind accountable. Now a dog... Okay, my dog used to get a whack now and again. Um, I didn't used to kick it out the door, um, but um, that was a sense of punishment. Uh, You know, so don't do that again sort of thing. But he didn't know what responsibility was. When a donkey neighs, he's not saying amen. Because he hasn't got the capacity to agree with what's being said. So when we say amen, we're sort of spiritually capable of understanding what's being said and agree with it. That is unique to us. And that uniqueness makes us responsible to God and accountable for our lives. Because... God is God and he has commanded all men everywhere 
to repent. Do we actually believe that? A dog does not need to take that sort of statement on and say, I need to repent before God and put my life in order. But man does. So there's a point there. It's the uniqueness of mankind. And so when we looked at creation, we looked at the things that God created by the power of his word, and man formed from the dust of ground into whom God breathed the breath of life, brought him into a responsibility. And then going back to that verse 1, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Now, how supernatural can you get? How supernatural can you get? No man has seen God at any time, but we believe in him. That is a uniqueness that God has given mankind the capacity to believe. And we must remember that when we come to the little story of Cain and Abel. Let's just read the short account there. It's just uh, in verse 4. By faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. And by faith, he still speaks, even though he has dead. Why are we reading Hebrews 11? Because the people to whom the writer is coming are sort of capitulating on real faith for faith. They've known faith in their lives. They know to believe God. Jesus had come, and they had believed in him. And now they're sort of tending to go back on the idea of believing in Jesus as the source of their life, the source of their salvation, and they were capitulating on real faith and going back to faith, actually returning to ground zero, if we could say it in a different way, being unaware of the subtle differences that degenerate the type of life that God expects his believing people to enjoy and experience. So here's the writer to Hebrews. He said, you've known real faith... Remember those earlier days after you received the light when you stood your ground in great contest in the face of suffering? You know what it is to have real faith and you're now capitulating to faith. You've gone back a step. It's the charge to hold on to this wonderful salvation which has been given to us through Jesus Christ. At the opening verses of Hebrews, it starts with the fact that We've received all this, and you're neglecting this great salvation, capitulating for faith. And that is the subtle difference that is happening in our world today. We're calling faith real faith, when it is only a form of faith. It's easy to make a sermon. But to sort of explain real faith, you had to be here Thursday night when Maxine spoke. And that was more stimulating and inspiring in the context of real faith than maybe what we can look at in a sermon sometimes. And that's why this list of people he's going. So as the writer looks at Cain and Abel, the specific things he wants to draw out of that and to help us to see 
what real faith is. I mean, he picks up on all these others, and I don't want to pinch someone else's sermon, but Abraham has a lot, big slot in this passage because God was the source of his life. What God said, he did. And God led him from day to day. And he honoured what God said. And he related, by believing in God, that what was God was doing in his life was important. So he did it, even to the sacrificing of his son. The difference between faith and real faith. We live in that sort of world today, where there's a lot of faith, but not quite so much real faith. And Cain and Abel will give us some insight into where we are. But in the context, this is given. The example given for day in Canaan and Abel, the story is brief and the details are few. The theologians have difficulty in trying to find out why God accepted Abel's sacrifice over Cain's offering. But that's the sort of world we live in. That's where God is with people today. This is two humanities in our world. Two humanities in our world. Maybe the Hebraic understanding and focus on this story may shed more light, but I'm not a Hebrew scholar. But there may be relevant things subject of, in the subject of faith upon real faith. At the heart of it, God does not accept Cain's offering, but he accepts Abel's sacrifice by which he found acceptance with God. The greatest thing in this world, in this life, and to know the peace of God which passes all understanding is to know within our beings that we're accepted by God. Many people are living with the idea that they don't know. But the Bible has the clear, the clear truth to guide the peoples of the world into an eternal future with God. Hebrews section, chapter 10, deals largely with this very point, which has been accepted by God, is the true way of life known by truth and spirit. In the context of worship and Cain and Abel, we see that they came to God. There was faith and there was real faith. When Jesus spoke to the woman of Samaria on the subject of worship, God is seeking worshippers, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. They must worship him in spirit and in truth. I just said that Hebrews chapter 10 deals largely with this very point. That which has been accepted by God, you and I, is the true way to life known by truth and in spirit. The truth about what Jesus has done is the truth part of it. What he's accomplished and what he's provided. The spiritual awakening of confidence, assurance, acceptance, because by the blood of Jesus, the most amazing spiritual reality can be experienced. I don't feel guilty anymore. Maybe this was an issue between Cain and Abel, in that Abel... 
his attitude and by the way that he brought his sacrifice to God, he knew a peace that passed understanding. Whereas if you look at Cain, Cain challenged him, Cain, why are you so angry? Why is he so angry? What he had offered hadn't helped him, hadn't done anything for him. But what Abel had sacrificed and brought to God had blessed him, had blessed him. Last week, John read the verse from Hebrews here. He that cometh to God must believe that he is, and he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Issue of spiritual and supernatural ways of approaching God. He that cometh to God, and we can come to God, he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Now, if you put this or slice this verse over Cain and Abel, which one do you think sort of appropriated that verse? Well, I think we see that Abel did and Cain didn't. There's a difference between the two. There's a difference between faith and real faith. In Hebrews 10, we have some people who are feeling they're losing out. They're lacking in confidence and they are losing their assurance about what it's all about. And as they're coming to faith, the writer is saying, now this faith which is so real and is such a rock, and this faith which is actually full of life, spirituality, and supernaturally normal, as Julian Broughton says, supernaturally normal is the process of faith that you believe in God and that he's a, going to, he rewards those who diligently seek him. People say, where did Abel get the idea from that he did what he did? And it's easy to look retrospectively at what he did in the light of all the teaching about sacrifices and offerings in, in the Bible and say, oh, Abel, he needed to bring a blood sacrifice because that was the right thing to do. But we don't know that. We don't know that. We don't know why Abel come. The details are very brief and scratchy. We are not sure. But I like to think of it in this context and in the context of the verse that I've just quoted. If you read about Abraham, and I don't want to pinch Abraham again, but it says about Abraham, he reasoned, he reasoned that God was able to raise the dead. Where did he get that idea from? We live in a world full of reason and full of teaching and understanding and learning that sometimes we have the... We seem incapacitated sometimes to reason what God wants.
Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. I like to think of Abel that way too. That he said, I see a need here. I see a need. And I must work this out. We could do that. We say, we live in this world. It's awful. Okay, it's good in places. But the underlying the underlying spirit of this world is driving it to an horrible conclusion. It's driving it to anarchy. Just like Timothy said in his gospel, in the last days will come such terrible disorder and happening. He said, there will be a form of godliness, but denying the truth. So we superimpose another thought over Cain and Abel, that Cain had a form of godliness, but was unable, but was, and he denied the truth. He's unable to grasp the truth about the whole situation. Now, the same Abel was a nobody. He was a nobody. And, um, but he was a nobody who became a somebody. In a sense, his name means that. It means something like this. Emptiness. A little while ago, we looked at the names that were given to um, Naomi's sons, I think it was. And um, I can't remember what I said now, but I know that it was a horrible meaning. It wasn't a good meaning. Now, it's really the same sort of thing with Abel. It's sort of like this. I feel empty, God has let me down. So we call him Abel. We call him Abel. With Cain... Eve said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. She was sort of saying, ah, God's going to help me now. He sent someone who can help me, help us get over this situation. So there's a difference there. The two humanities seen in Cain and Abel. What the writer, what the writer to the Hebrews is saying about Abel is that by faith, Abel offered God a better sacrifice than Cain. He came believing. He came believing. He came reasoning. You don't just turn your Bibles back to the story of Cain and Abel for a moment. There's some interesting little science and thoughts that can lead us in all sorts of directions... Um, but it helps us to get an idea of the picture before. If we're looking at Genesis chapter 4, and we just read from verse 1, just in context. Adam lay with his wife Eve, and she conceived and gave birth to Cain. She said, with the help of the Lord, I have brought forth a man. Later she gave birth to his brother Abel. Full stop. (laughs) Nothing much said there. But we read at a point in a stage in time that Eve said, I've gotten a man from the Lord. In other words, God's going to help me now. He can help us out of this awful mess, this awful situation. Someone who's God-like, in a sense. But it's really this sort of 
Eve stating how she felt, Adam and Eve stating how they felt in a, in a bit of a situation. But Abel was a sort of a nothingness, and so he had that sort of name. He was empty. He couldn't help them. No chance here, sort of thing. But he was a nobody who became a somebody because by believing in God, he found that he was a rewarder. He was a rewarder. And we can find that too, you know? He that comes to God must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder. Now, that's quite important because we live in a world where the concept of God is looked at in the terms of punishment or he doesn't like me, someone up there doesn't like me. And when they, when they, get, when, when they win the match of tennis, oh, thank you, thank you, God. There may be an element of faith but we're looking for real faith this morning. Something which is both spiritual and supernatural. Something which, when exercised in Jesus Christ, actually brings him to be our saviour and to give us a peace which passes all understanding. Back to chapter 4. Later on in verse 2. Now Abel kept flocks... And Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some of the fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord, but... Notice the but. But Abel brought fat portions from some of the firstborn of his flock. So in actual fact, what he's saying is that Abraham... Abel spent some time keeping an eye on the animals that he looked after and he looked for one which is the most beautiful beast in the whole flock and he killed it and said, God, that's for you. But Cain, it says he brought some of the fruits of the soil. Some of the fruits of the soil. There's a difference there between faith and real faith. Now, Abel kept flocks. Why did he keep flocks? Maybe he thought, there's going to be some needy people around here. They want clothing. They want skins of animals. So maybe I'll keep flocks. But Cain, he worked the soil. He worked the soil. Cursed is the ground because of you, because of the sin of Adam and Eve. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will turn. Cain was working with a cursed earth. And I think he must have found that very difficult. You know, religion seems like that sometimes, when it's religion, because it has no life in it. It's like working a cursed soil. And Cain thought, "Mm, I'll give God some of the fruits of this, which I've worked and worked. But you see, the same theme thought is worked out in other situations in the Bible. 
It came out in the story of the prodigal son, where the son went off and just squandered all the living, came back, said, I'm sorry, and his father said, come on in, mate. Come back, you're so welcome here. And what did the elder son, all these years I've worked for you, and you've given me no recognition. We can't work our way to God. Do you know we're living in the world of a cursed earth? Rules and regulations are crippling society. Why? Because it's trying to work the cursed earth. Now, safety rules, I mean, I work with them all day long. And uh, I had my electrical inspection a couple of weeks ago, and it's getting worse and worse and worse. But this man, he must love regulations, I tell you. He must eat, sleep, regulations, and all the rest of it. You get something right, oh, yeah, that's such and such number in there, and then you repeat it to it, and you put it down on your piece of paper where you've been inspected. In the health service, you'll find that regulations are crippling the real capacity to keep the flock, which is what Abel did. Now, I don't want to read too much into these stories, but I'm just trying to, to get some background understanding here. You know, we live in a society which is working the cursed earth, and it will end up crippling society. But there's good news, you know. There was Peter. He says, I'm going fishing. I'm going back to work, mates. There's nothing here for me. Jesus said, feed my sheep. Look after the flock of God. And even Christians will find it more and more difficult to look after the flock. It's difficult now in the context of children. And will become more difficult, I believe. It's difficult in the context of people who've actually... Pedophiles and stuff like that. It's difficult. It will become more difficult. But the whole point about it is we're working a cursed earth. And this is Cain was sort of living in that sort of situation, working the soil. And it said he gave God some of the fruits of the ground. What the story is really telling us is a difference. There is a way to God. There is a way that seemeth right unto man, but the end thereof is death. And God's provided a way. And so, by faith, by believing spiritual, supernatural faith, he approached God. We're not told why. I think largely it was his attitude, if you compare it with Cain's life, who could be angry. Our, our society is riddled with anger because we don't know peace with God. That's at the heart, that's at the base of it. When we don't know, when we haven't got peace with God, all this spiritual condition raises its ugly head. You have the same in the story with Mary and Martha. Lord, tell her I'm busy, tell her I'm working, tell her to come out with me and help me. But Mary chose to sit at Jesus' feet. And what was it? Jesus said, she's chosen that which was best. She's chosen that which was best. So real faith is about choices. Real faith is about my spiritual perception and the, spiritual and the supernatural capacity God has put within me 
to actually believe. To actually believe. Hope Fred won't mind me using him as an example. He doesn't usually mind. But Fred is a very perceptive man. Even the gift of discernment, we might call it. If Fred's in a room where there is one or even half of one peanut, (laughs) something in his spirit leads him to suppose that there are or were at a previous time many more of the one that is left. If all else fails to locate the others, it is more than likely that RS has spirited the blessed lot away to a secret location of which there are now only a few left. They've not been hidden as punishment, although that is the way it appears, but as a means of exercising authority for Fred's own good in his life and health. However, due to the hunter-gatherer instinct emerging in swathes of spirited agitation, the search begins. The same often happens with cheese. Or chocolate hobnobs. Anyway. The point is, Fred said something once, very perceptive. What he said was, you know, some people do just what they want to do. He's preached it once, he quoted it me another time, and I thought, yeah, that is it. We live in a world where people do just what they want to do. Think the way is right to God, you know, Well, I think it's like this, and I think it's like that, and I do my best, and I've never hurt anybody. But the point is, are you saved by the blood of Jesus Christ? Have you found the accepted way? The Bible says that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And so Fred is perceptive. Helen, can you get out of the slide up there? Face was. Right. Poop scoops are a tremendous invention. And um, you see here, there's a dog, uh, a picture of a dog with a poop scoop scooping up his own mess and putting it out. Now, you may teach an old dog to do new tricks, but you cannot teach a dog about hygiene and the reason why he has to do it. And it's the concept of believing that faith is both spiritual and supernatural, uniquely given to man. And so when people go about doing what they want to do, their beliefs are actually unimportant to God. But the story tells us that unto Cain, God didn't respect his offering. It, was, it wasn't the way. But unto Abel, his offering was, his sacrifice was accepted. Abel was a nobody who became a somebody who ended up dying as a result of his righteousness. But actually, his faith spoke to every age by age down to today. There is a way which is right. 
We cannot come to God any old way. The way to God is open. Let's draw near. And at the heart of worship (coughs) is my earnest capacity to exercise my spiritual capacity and supernatural faith in the one that God has given for our eternal salvation, and that is Jesus Christ. And we can do that. And it's possible to know, as the Hebrews to which the writer was writing had seemed to have lost. They'd lost a sense of confidence about their future. They'd lost the assurance that what they'd done was real and proper and would last for eternity. So Cain and Abel, two humanities, generally sums up life on earth, those who are in and those who are out. Lost and found, the Bible says. Righteous and unrighteous, God says. Believers and unbelievers, sheep and goats, as in the parable. God puts a division that you can't stand one foot one side and one the other. Now, I don't really like being a black and white person and saying this is this and that is that, but this is the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And there's a way to come to God. Abel came believing. That's the point of what the writer's saying. By faith, Abel offered a more excellent sacrifice than Cain. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man when God spoke well of his offerings. You know, the capacity to be righteous before God is nothing we can do ourselves. This is just simple statement gospel. I've tried, you've tried, the whole world has tried. Because it needs someone to stand between, someone who can present, someone who is a sacrifice for us. And on Thursday evening, Maxine was saying, everyone needs a sacrifice. Everyone in the world needs a sacrifice. We need this offering to God, and Jesus has made that offering on our behalf. That's why we worship him here this morning. That's why we own him as our Lord and Saviour. That's why we celebrate his goodness. Now, faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. And so we started with two the very good ancients of the Bible story. And they tell us, they tell us that there is a way to God. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except by me. That is truth. That is believable truth. That is understandable truth. And God has called us to remit our spiritual and supernatural capacity to believe in the one and only Saviour that God has given. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that was seen 
was not made out of what was visible. That's a most astounding verse, that, isn't it? Most astounding. Let's pray, shall we? You sensed, you sensed the need this morning of uncertainty, and um, by what I've said, not certain of the way, not certain that you're in the right place. It is God's love and grace and mercy that so wants you to be in the right place of acceptance. He's not worried about your sin because he's dealt with it. He is calling you to come. That's what he does. He calls to come by the new and living way so that we might have certainty and to be assured of a future in his presence. It's said of Cain, ultimately, that he went out from the presence of the Lord, living in a world as a lost soul. And Lord, we thank you so much. We thank you for so much for what Jesus has done for us. And because of what he's done, we would come to worship. We say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for being our sacrifice. Thank you for being our saviour. Thank you for being all that we needed when we couldn't say it with words or feel it with emotion or present it to God. You did it for us. And we thank you so much. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen.